On this episode of the Raven Report podcast, we talk on Stan the White Rhino efforting about diet, nutrition, and fitness despite a crazy life and drill schedule. Stan is an American IFBB professional bodybuilder and a powerlifter competing in the Southern Powerlifting Federation. He held the all-time raw world powerlifting records in the 275-pound class in the total without knee wraps lifting 2,226 pounds and in the squat without knee wraps lifting 854 pounds. Due to his enormous physical strength, regularly competing in professional powerlifting contests along his career in professional competitive bodybuilding, efforting is rightly known as the world's strongest bodybuilder. If you'd like to meet Stan and see him in person, he will be on Camp Murray at 12 May. Message us on Instagram at Cascade Rifles for more details. Let's get after it. You have a professional obligation for the ethical application of, uh, of force. You can have a growth mindset where you're always achieving for better. This is about us, about our guard, our reputation. We are all in this together. Outthink, outmaneuver, and outfight. If you wage war, do it energetically and with severity. This is the only way to make it shorter and consequently less inhumane. Alright, I'm Chad Sanders. Thanks for uh, returning again to the Raven Report podcast. We have a special episode today uh, with um, Stan Efforting. Uh, but before we get to him, I want to introduce uh, Sergeant First Class Austin Carmack from uh, RRB and uh, Captain Moen from uh h2f hey do you want to introduce yourself yeah so uh my name is sergeant first class carmack uh also known as aj um i've been in the military since 2007 spent some time on active duty on here on jblm uh transitioned over to the civilian world uh and did uh, a stint as an m-day soldier in the national guard uh, became a diesel mechanic and then uh found an agr job and had been doing that ever since 2014 so uh, I love what I do, love my family, uh, like strength sports. I feel very privileged to be here talking with Stan and the rest of y'all. All right. Josh? Oh, I think Josh froze. Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's Captain Josh Moen from Washington Army National Guard, Holistic Health and Fitness Project Officer. Just excited to be here for another podcast all right and that's by, it i'm not i'm not giving any more information that's it all right all right stan to you bud yes sir hey thanks for having me on guys i think uh a lot of folks uh generally pretty familiar with me it's stan efforting world's strongest pro bodybuilder ifbb pro world record power lifter uh nowadays just a coach uh high school collegiate professional athletes and thousands of dad bods and soccer moms all over the world been coaching for over 30 years so hopefully we'll have some uh, good information to give out today all right well i think aj has some uh some questions so if you uh, want to go ahead and get us going that'd be awesome all right uh just to stan if you were a ufc fighter uh what song would you come out to oh my goodness i don't know. probably welcome to the jungle that's the one i squat to so i'd probably come out to that as well <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Yeah, I just there. Uh, but yeah, um, kind of a two part question. I know you've trained a lot of high level athletes. Is there like a common thread that stood out to you? Uh, also, additionally, is there anything super weird or hilarious that you could share with us that maybe you discovered about any of your athletes? Yeah, you know, I've been working with high school collegiate and professional athletes since the early 90s. I had studied exercise science at the University of Oregon, started working with uh, uh, the uh, University of Oregon track and football team way back in the early 90s. And there is a common thread. I, I think first and foremost, genetics reign supreme. Most of these people are incredibly gifted uh, to, to play at such a high level or compete at such a high level. You find that out first and foremost. Uh, I also find out that many of them are successful in spite of themselves, that they aren't uh, as, um, let's say, up to date on what we would consider to be uh, you know, the most in, important things that people should do to be successful. That would include everything from diet to training to, to sleep. Uh, I usually find big holes in those games. They're all very disciplined and trained very hard. There's no question that that's the case. And uh, as much as I hate to say it, being the founder of the vertical diet, the vast majority of them, at least through their early years, just eat fast food. <laughs> that's pretty consistent across so the board. True. <laughs> so true. Yeah. 
Nice. Well, uh, I'd, I've watched a lot of your content and, uh, on a previous podcast, you discussed that, uh, personal trainers are kind of like the front line and not necessarily the doctors are making the biggest differences. Those individuals that are out there, you know, kind of doing all the heavy lifting in the trenches. Uh, what kind of advice would you give a young leader uh, in our organization that's on the front line who have soldiers that need to improve their life and in fitness? You know, that's 100% true. And that's been researched. We show that medical professionals and registered dietitians do not have the best outcomes because they just don't interact with the clients often enough. And usually it's cost prohibitive uh, for clients to utilize their expertise on a regular basis. And so the personal trainers, the people who engage the clients on a regular basis, uh, those people who are there to motivate them and kind of keep them, hold them accountable, um, that those are the people that really have the best long-term uh, success. We, you know, we say adherence is what's most important or compliance is the science is the quote yeah. that, uh, that I've uh, put out many years ago. And that kind of brings me into the, the that's probably the most important thing that, uh, that trainers can do for their clients a lot of trainers feel as though they need to provide their client with with a, a ton of information and that's really not the case the basics are very simple the things that you know 99% of the stuff that a client needs to do to be successful you could write on a 3 by 5 card in less than a minute it's not mm. the information it's the application or the execution that matters uh, uh, how do yeah. how do you help clients be consistent how do you help them adhere to their diet and to just show up for their workouts and uh, so there's a whole host of strategies that I use and implement with the vertical diet that really uh, just help people uh, with time management skills, learn the best uh, skills to comply with their diet, meal prepping being the most um, important of them in terms of diet compliance. And we know this from the bodybuilding figure physique bikini industry for decades. They carry around their Tupperwares full of uh, meals and their six pack bags. And it's actually <laughs> uh, the most effective method for dietary compliance is to prep your meals or to use a meal prep company. And I'm not chilling for my meal prep company. We make meals and ship them all over the country to my clients and customers. But I tell them, look, if you, you know, meal prepping, whether you prep or we prep or you hire you know, someone to do it for you, uh, that's probably the single most important thing that they can do. And then in terms of the, the, the compliance with the training program, I think that a lot of trainers think they need to, to uh, assign too much. I, I think that they, mm -hmm. they feel as though that their client needs to sweat hard and breathe heavy in order to get an effective workout. And that's really not the case in terms of weight loss. Um, I, I call it uh, uh, battle ropes and burpees. It's just not enjoyable. It's not sustainable. <laughs> it's not terribly effective to begin with. Um, and so I create workout programs that people enjoy and that uh, lend themselves best to uh, getting the results that they want. And we can certainly dive into that. Yeah. Which uh, I, go ahead, sir. Go ahead, AJ. Oh, no, send, sir. You're good. Raj. So, I mean, Stan, let's let's dive into that about about effective uh, body, because, I mean, I imagine, especially for the dad bod community, I hate to, to lump the national guard into that category. But a lot of times um, there's paralysis by analysis and people tend to train by themselves. And, you know, they're left watching YouTube videos and trying to piece together a type of training plan. That's going to best suit them for prepping for either the ACFT or just body composition change. So what, what has been for you with that type of client, the client that wants body composition change or just some semblance of fitness, what has been, primarily, I guess, or generally speaking, what is the most effective method that you found? Well, I mean, for general fitness and for weight loss, uh, the most important thing, I mean, 99% of weight loss, really of fat loss is dietary adherence, is maintaining a slight calorie deficit so you can lose body fat. That's the most important. You lose body fat in the kitchen and <laughs> you, you increase lean mass or fitness, obviously, with your exercise protocol. Uh, and, you know, what we've seen in all the research is that those folks who want to lose fat but retain lean body mass, which is incredibly important, um, that you need to have some sort of resistance training, obviously. We're all, I mean, there's, there's no question all of us would certainly agree with that, but uh, a lot of folks 
don't understand that. And they go right out and they start this jogging program or whatever. And it's not to, you know, to say that jogging is bad. I'm just saying that if you're going to set a hierarchy up of the most important things, resistance training is the single most important. And you can get a significant amount of calorie, you know, what we call uh, uh, energy expenditure or calorie burning from your weightlifting session. There's nothing more advantageous about doing a ton of cardio. There's even plenty of research that suggests that more cardio does not equal more weight loss. And I'm, I'm not suggesting anybody don't do cardio, but I'm saying let's let's take a careful look at what the priorities are. So right out of the gate, I implement a resistance training program and I try and uh, adhere to the kind of uh, uh, resistance training principles that actually give you a benefit. And again, that's not burpees and, and, and battle ropes that you need to create a sufficient stimulus to retain or gain lean body mass. And that's going to require, um, you know, a, a pretty simple list of, of things that, that are, you know, science currently shows us that provides you the best return. And I'll, yeah. I'll just go down those very briefly. You should probably train sure. everybody part twice a week. You should probably do somewhere between 10 and 20 sets per body part per week. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you're going to train your whole body Monday and your whole body Friday, then you want to train at least about five sets per body part uh, each workout. So you get your 10 sets per week. Um, mm. and, and that would be sufficient, what we call minimum effective volume. And then there's also sure. a maximum recoverable volume. So overtraining does become a problem, particularly with you, you know your, your high intensity athletes, military personnel, et cetera. Uh, they can train too much and probably get significant uh, diminishing returns. Uh, not getting right. more benefit, you know, arguably more benefit from the additional training. So train twice a week, do five sets per body part per workout. The next up would be volume. Uh, and the volume would be, or that would be, that, that's frequency and volume. The next up would be intensity. And sure. this is probably the most important component of, of weightlifting in order to get uh, some sort of stimulus that you actually respond to. And I say it like this, if you do 10 reps and you could have done 20, it's not a sufficient stimulus. The intensity isn't sufficient enough. You want to get to within a rep or two of failure. And really, we can judge that just by how their speed slows down. When people are doing bench presses, they get a certain pace going. And then all of a sudden, the the rep goes slower. That's sufficient. You can rack it after that on any exercise when the when the uh, acceleration uh, becomes about half what it was previously in the previous rep, um, you know, if the rep takes you three seconds instead of two seconds, then that's probably sufficient in order to just rack the weight. So that's your intensity. Get to within a rep or two of failure. Uh, and that and that'll give you the, you know, the response that you want. And then people say, well, how much weight do I lift? And it really doesn't matter. You can get a similar hypertrophy response response from lifting a heavy weight for five reps, say 85% of your one rep max, as you can from a medium weight, 70% of your one rep max for 10 to 12 reps, as you can from a lighter weight, 50% of your one rep max for 20 reps. So long Hmm. as each of those different uh, uh, weights is taken to within a rep or two of failure. Uh, And that's what's important. You get similar hypertrophy response. Now, obviously you're gonna get stronger lifting 85% of your one rep max for five reps. There's no question that the heavier weight sure. is going to make you stronger. But if that's not your specific goal, then, you know, pick the the, the range. You'll also accumulate a lot more fatigue, um, mm, yeah. which is can, can be important in terms of long-term compliance. I mentioned earlier that sometimes, you know, battle ropes and burpees can actually be counterproductive. And that's the same can be true of too much fatigue accumulated in a workout because, um, for people who are dieting and in a calorie deficit, really what you're trying to do is maintain your lean mass. The likelihood that you're going to grow muscle um, is, is pretty slim. You'd have to be an untrained individual that's significantly overweight, uh, you know, kind of a newbie in order to, to lose fat and gain muscle at the same time to any significant degree. Uh, sure. But what happens is, is, and I mentioned earlier that some people, they go in and they start a training program and they train too hard. And then they experience what we call compensation. They actually eat more and, and sit more because they're tired from their training. Uh, uh, and they and they end up, you know, uh, ruining all of their efforts. 
And so oh. I'm cautious with that. I, I don't, it, it doesn't require you to, uh, you know, to go in there and, and completely crush yourself during the workouts. Uh, here's what I recommend very specifically. I said at least two workouts a week. Um, you could train more if you had time. If it, and again, that becomes the most important thing is to people talk about what split do I do? What body parts do I train on what day? And it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it's really what can you adhere to? When can you train? Yeah. If you've got four days a week for 20 minutes, then we design the program to accommodate four days a week for 20 minutes. That's It has to do with, with what your schedule looks like. If I give you some program that uh, that you can't adhere to or you've got kids or job or whatever else and you're not going to show up then there's just no sense in that uh, uh, so I designed the program to I, first and foremost I just ask them even when I send questionnaires to my customer what's your schedule look like what can you consistently uh, what time can you consistently commit to training whether it's at a gym or at home and you design the program accordingly but that's that's what's most important and then I throw in for quote-unquote cardio because, uh, you know, I, I just put a lot of emphasis on weight training uh, and discuss the reasons why and how it's a priority. Uh, but I also do some cardio. And, but I don't assign that 40 minutes on a treadmill five days a week because nobody adheres to it. It's not enjoyable. It's not sustainable. And again, it's not terribly effective for weight loss if you're just talking about uh, losing body fat. Uh, the diet is, is far and away a more important uh, component of weight loss. But it's good for cardiovascular fitness for your heart, although you do get significant benefits from weight training uh, hard enough within a rep or two of failure, you're going to get your heart rate up. Um, yeah. But what I assign is, as you guys have heard me say many, many times for nearly a decade now, is the 10-minute yeah, walk. walks. Yeah, I do those after meals. They're, they're easy to adhere to. You can do them anywhere, anytime. If the weather's bad, you can just get a little recumbent bike and do a 10-minute session. And I like to do them after meals because they help yeah. with blood sugars. They help with digestion. Uh, but it's something I've been doing. And I hate cardio, by the way. It's probably why I <laughs> rail against it so much. The idea of walking on a treadmill for 40 minutes is painful uh, to me. And yeah. so, but I've been doing 30 to 40 minutes of quote unquote cardio every day for almost a decade, for many, many, many years consistently because I do the 10 minute walks. And when yeah. I eat, I have a habit now that's ingrained in me whether I'm traveling and I get up and I do it at the hotel in the morning or I'm walking around the airport baggage claim waiting for my bags or uh, I, I eat at a restaurant and then I uh, at night and then I go out the door and I walk for five minutes and turn around and walk back before I get in my car. I've designed mm -hmm. my program such that I do that very, very consistently. And that would be more than sufficient uh, cardiovascular exercise. I think the recommendation uh, is about 150 minutes a week, but I just gave you 210 minutes a week. If you do 30 minutes, you have three 10 minute walks a day, post meal, seven days a week, you've well exceeded, uh, the recommendations for cardio for the week. So now if wow. there was a specific demand for a sport, now we're talking about fitness, um, yep. not, not just health, we're talking about fitness, which is very different. You know, the ability to perform a particular duty or task is your fitness level. And whatever that duty or task is, you want to be trained, you know, you want your fitness level to be able to achieve that duty or task, whether it's a world's strongest man or a UFC fighter or soccer player or football, all of those have kind of different demands in terms of, you know, optimizing your fitness. Um, but, you know, we design those programs to be specific for that individual's goals, you know, fitness goals. So there is some yeah. variation based on the individual. Sorry to blather on, but I, I just think those are the, the most important things that we try and cover. No, that's perfect. I, and I remember um, a lot of that uh, is, is covered in the vertical diet, the book. And um, it's, it's great to hear it um, from the horse's mouth, <laughs> so to speak, just again and again, because there's so many, so many truths in, in what you've said about um, what's, what's the best diet in the world? What's the best training plan in the world? Well, the one that you're going to adhere to, the one that you're actually going to execute. And, and to hear that time and time again, because I think humans are, they just, they have really, 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 really bad memories, especially when it comes to habit formation and, and doing the right thing consistently when it's um, something that's seemingly unnatural, but just to hear it. Oh, it's fantastic. I love it. Cause I love it. I love hearing it because it reinforces the way that I'm trying to live my life. Um, and to, to hear it from you in real time, it's fantastic. AJ, I'm sure you have follow-up questions, man. Fire away. Oh yeah, for sure, sir. So, uh, you know, talking about the sciences in the 
uh, compliance of everything. I know you do train, uh, travel a lot, excuse me, uh, for a lot of soldiers that we have that are like M day soldiers, that means they're part-time. They only do the weekend warrior stuff. And then they have, they could be an accountant. They could work at a restaurant. They could, uh, you know, have a construction job. They could be burning calories all the time or not. Uh, and then we need them to perform in their capacities. And that's kind of why we have the ACFT and all the other kind of stuff. Uh, there's a lot of travel, you know, when we're on orders and whatnot, and we can't always choose exactly what we're going to eat. Um, is there like any general guidelines? Have you ever found yourself in that situation? I know I've seen that you travel with all your food and you have everything yeah. kind of locked out. So. I'll do this in three parts. I'll do what I would recommend. And then I'll do, uh, you know, when you don't do that and you have to have a backup plan. <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> uh, and, then I'll, and then I'll tell you what, what a lot I do. I recommend for a lot of high school and, and collegiate athletes who just aren't going to be consistent. So uh, as you mentioned, I travel. I've done over 200 seminars in 14 countries in all 50 states. Two summers ago, I got in an RV and I drove 16,000 miles and did 60 seminars in 60 nights visiting all 48 continental U.S. states and, and uh, Washington, D.C. And I did a seminar every night driving, you know, two to seven hours a day, depending. And, and uh, uh, you're right. I meal prep. And I have a, a, a seminar this Saturday here at, in Vegas called Biggs University. And I've invited uh, people from all over the country to come to my home. And part of what we're going to do uh, into my gym here in town uh, to spend eight hours with me and part of what we're going to do is, is i'm going to show them how i meal prep in the morning and i've got a video on youtube called uh, I yes think, meal prep for travel where i show what i do every morning and i've got three kids and i've got obviously a busy schedule myself so even if i'm at home i do the same thing i wake up in the morning and uh, uh what's one of the important things is that you're organized and uh I, i'm a little ocd about this because i've got it down to a science it's like you guys you get up in the morning and you got about two minutes to get dressed and make your bed i look at my meal prep in the morning kind of the same way it needs to be efficient uh and so i've got my strainer next to the sink it's got everything i need in it to where i can get started i've got a a, a ninja grill i just i just take my uh my bison meat or you know lean burger and i pop it in the ninja grill i I've got a rice cooker going with a timer the night before so that it's already ready when I wake up in the morning. Um, I'm microwaving some bone broth and a baked potato. I've got a big giant salad mixing bowl and I throw, uh, you know, two pounds of burger and, and four cups of rice and two big potatoes and, a, uh, you know, three or four cups of bone broth all in this giant mixing bowl. And I use a, a mashing tool and I make this giant mash and I can throw some spinach in there, or peppers or some scrambled eggs if I want. It doesn't matter. It's just a huge bowl uh, full of this giant monster mash that said a lot of people are familiar with and a lot of my athletes eat. And uh, I have one for breakfast and then I, I put, I've got a little jarring funnel and I've got some thermos uh, off of Amazon for $20. You can get these double insulated uh, 24 ounce thermos that, that'll hold a meal and keep it hot for eight to 10 hours. And so I put uh, as many meals as I need for the day, two or three, depending on, you know, if I'm how far I'm traveling or whether or not, you know, I won't be back till dinner time. So I eat the breakfast, uh, you know, I'll throw some uh, baby carrots and some uh, yogurt and some fruit with that possibly, you know, as a side. Uh, but I'll, that's the foundation of the diet is whatever, uh, you know, whatever I make into my mash and, and you can use you know, ground chicken, you can use a, a 96.4 beef or an 88.12. It just kind of depends on what your macros are. You can use more potato and less rice. You know, it just, it's really up to you. And so, and then I just eat that with some fruit and yogurt and a couple of baby carrots and maybe some almonds. And, and uh, those are all things I could, you know, generally pack with me. Uh, and so I've got all my meals prepped. Now, like you said, when I travel for a long period of time, uh, then I'll take, I'll prep my thermos for the day hop on the plane, I can eat my hot monster mash while the guy next to me is foraging for pretzels and peanuts and <laughs> chips, you know. Uh, when I went to Moscow, I took five of these thermos with hot meals in them. I, I'm really, really super hot. Uh, so they would stay hot as long as possible. That's a 20 plus hour trip, you know, to a, between the layover and then landing and customs and the time you get to your hotel. I ate every three or four hours like I tend to do. I had a hot meal uh, all the way to Moscow, and then I packed about 30, I was there for a week, so I put about 30 meals into a rolling Coleman cooler, and again, I have a meal prep company, so I could just order the meals and put them in there, 
and I check them on the plane and they're still frozen when I land. And I just make sure and get a hotel that's got a fridge and a microwave. When I traveled the whole US for two straight months, uh, doing 60 cities and 60 nights, I, uh, I, I got an RV that had a microwave and a fridge in it. And I had meals dropped to me every other week wherever whatever city I was going to be in I had anticipated you know where I could pick it up and had it delivered to the gym or you know to the to the UPS hub and that city that I was going to be in so I had I had meal meals prepped for me and I was able to just pick up the box and put it in my fridge in my RV and microwave them throughout the day and um, I stayed at extended stays along the way as well so I, I was able to prep meals and that way, if I stay somewhere for, where for a week or if it's three or four days, even, you just take the number of meals you need for the number of days uh, and you're, you're set. Okay, that's ideal. You do it yourself or use a meal prep company, pack everything, prep it every day. Uh, you actually save, definitely save significant amount of time and money. Anytime everybody says that meal prep's expensive, I ask to see their credit card for how many, uh, how many times they've eaten out at restaurants for the month. <laughs> I, took my kids to, I took my kids to Subway the other day on the way back from Arizona. I'm down in Arizona at Fight Ready every other week training. Henry Cejudo has got a championship fight coming up now. And so I'm driving back from Arizona and I take the kids to Subway and just a couple of half or a few half sandwiches. And of course they got to grab the chips and they want to diet soda or something. I, I make them drink milk first if they want anything. Uh, yes. you know, protein Hell and milk yeah. first before they can have any, any kind of treat. And then even then I'm trying to go for the, the baked lays instead of the Doritos. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'm a dad and I have kids and I, I'm not trying to, to overthink it. As long as they get enough protein, I'm happy, but it was like $38. For, to stop at Subway, yeah. you know? Yep. And, uh, but, but you get my point. It takes more time and more money to eat out and, and you can't control the food as well. So uh, meal prep would be to me ideal. Now, if you don't have uh, your meals prepped and you need to find something, um, this is probably a, a secret that I, I think I've said this before, but and John John wouldn't be upset to, that I that I mentioned this, but John likes to eat at fast food places. <laughs> he 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 doesn't necessarily adhere <laughs> to a very strict diet all the time. There's certain places he likes to go eat, you know. And since he's in the heavyweight class, he doesn't have to be as as strict. And so what I did is I just googled the uh, the menus for the fast food places that he likes to go to, and I just looked down the um, the uh, macro counts and found what was high in protein and a little lower in fat. I usually like to shoot for a two to one protein to fat ratio because you can go to Subway and get a meatball sandwich and you're not going to get very much protein. It's going to be really high in fat, or you can go get a chicken or steak sandwich and it's going to be really high in protein and a lot lower in fat. So hmm. you could just make these choices uh, from whatever fast food restaurant. I do this for high school kids too, because when they travel, they're not going to meal prep, you know, and they're, they're just the bus stops at whatever fast food place. I just tell them, just Google their menu and just look down and find the highest protein, lowest fat. Usually it's a two to one if you can. Generally, that puts you into a chicken meal um, and, and eat away, you know, and get a skim milk or something. And, and then you can get all your protein and get sufficient, uh, uh, you know, get a sufficient meal that's not just laden with fat and low protein. So that's mm. that's kind of that's kind of how I progress through that, depending on. Uh, you know, whether the person has the ability to be organized or they just have to wing it. Mm. Right. Now, when it comes to exercise, like I, I saw that trip that you were talking about, I, uh, your 60 cities and 60 nights kind of thing. And I was like, that sounds crazy. First off, I'm curious if you plan that out all by yourself, because uh, it seems like a lot. And two, uh, exercise, like uh, you talked earlier about like the maximum amount that you can recover from. And then there's also like the minimum amount of stim stimulus, the MEV, I believe it is, uh, of volume. Yeah. Uh, could you maybe touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I did plan that trip out myself. I, oh, nice. I reached out to uh, <laughs> gyms all over the country to see if they would host me. The challenge was that it, it was that COVID was just supposedly, we were supposed to be lifting the COVID bands. Uh, and, and I had planned it to be that summer. And then almost as soon as I took off from the house, they started shutting everything back down. Fortunately, I went east instead of west. I, I didn't go to California first. I, I, I made my way to the east and got down into Texas real quick. Uh, but yeah, I only had I think I only had about 14 of the fifth of the 60 locations actually booked the first 14. And I was actually making calls and texting and emailing while I was driving. 
to secure the rest of the venues, I had set up a schedule. I knew what city I was going to be in. And then I just had people sign up. It was a, a, as a TBA, a to be announced as for the location. And I had over 4,000 people pre-register to attend the seminars all throughout the country. Um, and sometimes it was a day or two before the event that I was able to get a gym owner to uh, provide us a, a venue to have, host the event and then notify everybody <laughs> that had pre-registered that that's where I would be. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that was number one. And then as for workouts, I mean, obviously a 10 minute walk in the morning before I got in the van. And then every time I gassed up the van, I, I was taking 10 minute walks around the parking lot of the, I felt, kind of, and I would see, I would stop at a lot of those flying J's, you know, the trucker stops and I would see them get out of their semi and go inside and get a large soda and a hot dog and go back to their semi yep, and, you know, not passing judgment. I'm just saying that there are opportunities should they have the education uh, to, to make uh, changes to that, that habit. Uh, when they go to gas up, they could take the 10 minute walk and they could uh, select items at that place and such as maybe a diet soda or some higher protein items or do the meal prep option. And I, I, I do work with truck drivers and I do design programs that they can comply with uh, based on all the things that we just discussed and they can lose weight and get exercise. Uh, I only had to stop. I mean, I, I, fortunately, I was going to gyms and so I could train as often as I want. I could train every day if yeah. I wanted to. But in the absence of that, uh, you know, as I mentioned, if you get in two training sessions a week and get in about five sets per body part, and by that, I mean, you can do a push, a pull and a legs. You could do a, a bench and a chin up and then a squat and hopefully a, maybe a hamstring exercise. You could finish that whole workout in less than 30 minutes. I did a whole uh, video with Thomas DeLauer showing exactly how we superset antagonistic body parts. So we get sufficient mm -hmm. rest periods between our chest exercises by doing a, doing a chest exercise, resting a minute, doing a back exercise, resting a minute. And then just repeat mm -hmm. that four times, uh, you know, or maybe three times and then pick a different exercise. But we can finish chest and back in less than 15 minutes uh, using that protocol, supersetting opposing body parts or antagonistic chest and back. And you can do the same thing with legs. And you really don't need a lot of shoulder or tricep or bicep work, to be honest, in a program like that, because every chin up works your bicep and every bench press works your tricep. Uh, the only thing I'd want to throw in there, maybe a little side lateral and certainly some hamstring and calf work, uh, you know, as you can. But I think 35 minutes twice a week would be more than sufficient, particularly in doing weight loss to retain lean body mass. So long as we adhered to the other uh hypertrophy you know the science-based hypertrophy principles of, of just lifting to win within a rep or two of failure it would be probably the mm. most important thing um so it I, you know i i hesitate to say this because i love training but it seems it seems pretty uh, like most people should be able to adhere to that program so long as they design it such that it's enjoyable not everybody likes to go in and bench press and um, you know, so you've got to find, it could just be push-ups. You could wake up in the morning and bang out 50 push-ups, you know, and however many sets it took you to do that. Um, just whatever, it, it, there's no, there's no best way necessarily. I mean, the muscles are pretty dumb. It's pretty easy to do a push, a pull and a leg. And, and if you work it to within a rep or two of failure twice a week and get five sets each time, that's it. That's the only guideline. You know, whatever else, however you achieve that is just whatever tool you use doesn't matter leg press, hack squat, squat, SSB bar, front squat, I mean, box squat, it doesn't matter. Like extension, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Find the one that you enjoy doing the most. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, you had mentioned earlier about your kids and it was kind of funny because it's one of the questions I had. Um, I was talking to my wife about this and kind of reading through the stuff and uh, she's kind of into, she's really into fitness and she's a PTA and whatnot. And she was like, I would be very curious because we have children. Uh, you know, is there anything that Stan doesn't allow in his house or is there like a specific thing for his kids that he does food wise or exercise? Like, is there anything like that or uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, explain that. I do. And, and I'm a dad with kids and I'm busy and I get it. You know, it was really yeah. easy for me to, make these recommendations prior to having kids. And, uh, <laughs> and when you have them, you realize that, that, that it's different. 
that is a lot different. And then you want to start questioning whether or not you're you're doing right by them. Right. Probably the most, uh, what would I say, the most relieving piece of information I got was from uh, Dr. Jose Antonio, the president of the International Society of Sports Nutrition. Mm. Uh, he was doing a presentation a few years back at the NSCA's national conference. And he said, and he has two college age girls that play sports in college. He said, get your kids a gram of protein per pound of body weight and forget about the rest. Nice. Hmm. <laughs> that was it. I, that's now yeah, that's a good, yeah. I employ, and I like to get them from a variety of sources, whether it's a little bit of red meat or some chicken or some eggs or some dairy. I like to make sure they get a variety of sources. And now we're, you know, I'm going to start going down into this trail of, of other things I, I would hope for, but the, the basics <laughs> are still the basics. Get them a gram of protein per pound of body weight uh, and forget about the rest. So I like to get them from a variety of sources because they do need calcium and they do need iron, you know, especially uh, kids. And so iron would be highest in red meat. Calcium would be highest in dairy. Um, and of course we like the, the egg yolk for the, it's almost like a multivitamin with all the things that are in there, choline and biotin, et cetera. So I do like to get them at least an egg and at least a serving of dairy and at least a serving of red meat a day. And so I have a variety of protein sources that I feed them. And then if they want a snack, I just, I, I make it really easy. I'm like, got to eat your protein first. And then, <laughs> you know, and I don't keep those snacks in the house because then there's no way to control how much they eat. It would have to be something that we would go out and get. And, it, mm -hmm. and then, you know, we, it wouldn't be all the time, it would, you know, or we set it up. Some people don't like the idea of setting up food as a reward. Uh, I'm not that particular about it, to be honest. I, I just want them to learn good dietary habits, maybe do an 80-20, 80% whole foods, and then 20%, you know, kind of whatever they want. And I just educate them on what foods they should eat more of and what foods they should eat less of. And mm -hmm. the reasons why and not try not to demonize things. Um, the industry as a whole has has really started to turn away from looking at individual foods and look more at dietary patterns um and then quantities you know it's kind of a kind of a i think that that alan Aragon's book flexible dieting probably best represents when uh what a good what a good theory is there i also find it hard if i serve kids up a plate of food they'll just pick what they want to eat out of that plate and leave the stuff i want them to eat so i mix it together <laughs> Uh, they'll eat the carbs you know if i give them some, <laughs> a, some scrambled eggs and toast they'll eat the toast and leave the carb leave the eggs sitting there so i mix the eggs with rice i, I mix it up into a, a kind of a mash or whatever i just blend eggs and rice together now they can't separate them they have to eat them together i do the same thing <laughs> with the monster mash i mix the beef with uh, you know the potato and rice or whatever i mix it all together and that way they can't pick through the and just eat the carbs and not the protein those are some strategies that i use for compliance so good no that's awesome yeah i'll uh what i do with my kids is very similar to what you do actually um but i try and get them to serve themselves so i'm like you're you're choosing what you're going to eat at this point in time and the rule is you can't leave anything on there so there's a minimum and they that, that's kind of how we do it but i'm going to start implementing some of that as well um yeah yeah, there is a, you, you talk a lot, uh, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned it, uh, about uh, sleep apnea and and all that kind of stuff. Um, I remember hearing about you talk about it. I thought, hey, I'm young. Uh, I'm not overweight per se um, due to like adipose tissue. Um, and so I was kind of in the back of my mind. And I, a really good friend of mine, when we were doing a medical readiness event uh, before the mobilization of Poland, he goes... Uh, he didn't end up, he had to get taken to the hospital because he had super high uh, heart rate. And this guy is, you know, almost six foot tall, 120 pounds soaking wet, real skinny guy. And they were like, yeah, you've got all these heart issues. You can't uh, deploy with these guys. And you also oh. need to get a sleep apnea test, you know, a sleep study. And turns out the dude has like really severe sleep apnea. And then I said, mm -hmm. I, th I thought to myself, if this skinny guy has this, it could be genetic. And I went and got tested and. They're like, yeah, you got sleep apnea. And I was like, go figure. And so completely changed my life. So thank you for, if you want to expand on that, it'd be awesome. I like that you said that. There aren't many things. I've been in the business for 30 years. I don't, I don't wave my pom-poms about very much. But uh, when I use the word life-changing, I'll use it uh, with respect to a CPAP. And I started using one in the early 90s as my weight started to climb. And I started to 
snore and wake up tired. And that's mm -hmm. part of what's called the stop bang questionnaire. If you want to Google stop bang and test yourself, uh, go through and fill out the questionnaire. Do you snore and wake up tired is probably two of the biggest indicators. You have some degree of sleep apnea and mm -hmm. it is degrees. It's a, it's, it's not either or it's that some people have you know different degrees of sleep apnea. And uh, it, it has to do with crowding of the airway, and it's not necessarily from excess adiposity. Although you know a lot of people who are who are uh, who are obese will suffer from it just because of that extra weight around the neck. My mom was 112 pounds or something like that. She was she had uh, sleep apnea. Jordan Fagenbaum oh, yeah. from Barbell Medicines, uh, 198 pounds with abs. He has sleep apnea. He wears a CPAP. He has a yeah. thick neck. He squats. That's generally what happens to a lot of us who squat uh, or play sports or wrestle or what have you. You know, you end up with a thick neck and you'll get some degree of sleep apnea. Ask your wife or significant other if you hold your breath at all or if you snore. And if you wake up tired, then it, you may need to get, um, uh, you know, a sleep study done. Now, mm. here's where uh, some people in the medical community don't appreciate my discussing this, but not everybody can afford <laughs> a sleep study. And in yeah. some countries, socialized medicine, it may be that you can't get a sleep study for six or nine months. Canada, Europe, Australia, I have clients all over the world, and they'll tell me, where can I get you know, this done? Uh, or it's, it's prohibitively expensive. Um, you know, they don't have insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if it's compelling enough, if you are snoring and waking up tired, uh, then I would recommend that you still uh, try and get a CPAP until such time that you can get uh, you know, medical intervention. And the CPAPs today are autopaps or BiPAPs. They measure, uh, they interpret your breathing and, and adjust the pressure accordingly. Matter of fact, when I went in for another sleep study some years ago, uh, they hooked me up to a, a uh, uh, I think it was a dream station. And in the morning when I asked, or when I asked her what, to, I noticed that the, the average number that was on the dream station uh, readout on the screen is what she recommended that I set it at. So uh, these things, these machines are pretty smart now. Uh, you can get them on Craigslist. I've got a reseller that refurbishes them uh, as well that I notify my clients of. And, and, and look, I understand that that's, that's not, you know, necessarily the recommended protocol from the medical community. But I also noticed many years ago when I went to get a CPAP, how extraordinarily expensive they were. I mean, it was like mm -hmm. they were leasing the things like a car lease. So I had to get two of them, one for me, one for my eldest son. It was like $2,400 when all was said and done. They were trying to set me up in these payments. And you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just shaking my head. They lobby the state so that only certain providers can sell them, that you can't get them from a medical supply store. And the prices just double or triple overnight. Same with the masks. They used to be readily available at medical supply stores. And all of a sudden, the, the you know, the whatever industry, the medical supply industry, um, uh, you know, lobbied the state and they, they pulled them out. Next thing you know, the masks are twice as expensive. So I've got yeah. places I can get them. There's online places you can get them. Uh, I, I, it's important enough that I ask people to send me a message. I even made a post just a few weeks ago and said, if you don't know where to get one, uh, send me a DM. And I, and I responded to people with a, a list of, of alternatives because it's that important. It is life-changing. It'll drop your blood pressure by uh, sometimes up to 20 points. It'll help with appetite, certainly energy, recovery, uh, yeah. you know, libido. There's so many things that it affects, as you mentioned with your friend. It, it's very damaging to the heart in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if, uh, it's Go ahead, sir. Oh, just I was I was just saying, uh, just an, another thing is brain function, like fogginess, uh, mental yeah. acute. Um, also, an, another uh, kind of overlooked benefit. I remember talking to my my primary care physician about this, and um, he's a medical doctor, and he said that he would be like in the car, falling asleep at the traffic light, sharing his own story about sleep apnea, and yeah, and thought, no way have sleep apnea because he was generally fit. Um, but then, yeah, it turned out that he was he, he had sleep apnea and there'd be fogginess throughout the day, just a lack of mental sharpness. And and if anybody needs to be mentally sharp, like surely a medical professional and or a deployed soldier need mm -hmm. to have their wit on them. Agreed. Yeah. 100%. Sorry. Oh, no worries, sir. Yeah, the uh, it, it's crazy the difference. Um, the military process for doing it. Um, if there's anybody who hears this that think they wake up in the morning more tired than when they went to sleep and they have the fogginess and all that stuff, 
um, which I was experiencing uh, to a very high degree. Um, essentially, you have to go get a sleep study done and you got to work this whole thing out. So that flash the bang, if you need any help with that, go ahead and contact me as well. The program through the military, once you finally get diagnosed, is pretty awesome. There's some compliance that you have to do, um, but you get new equipment shipped to you for free. It's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, I can't say anything better about that. So, a lot of my clients overseas in Europe and Canada, they tell me that if they go in and the sleep apnea isn't severe enough, they won't be prescribed a machine. They'll be told to lose weight. Uh, <laughs> so, there can be some challenges. And of course, a lot of my athletes don't want to lose weight. And so, uh, you know, we, right. <laughs> we employ these interventions with the sleep study. Like when I work with Lane Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles, he came to me, he was 312 pounds and he's struggling to gain weight and needed to be closer to 330 during the season. And he's mm -hmm. always struggled with eating enough. His blood pressure, his systolic blood pressure, I think was 157 when I got him at 312. We got him up to 332 and his blood pressure was in the low 130s. So he actually dropped 20 points. One of the major contributors to that uh, was the CPAP that he wasn't wearing. He knew he needed it, but he wasn't wearing it just because it was uncomfortable. So I went right. out and I programmed it for him and I got him a different mask. You have to, you have to kind of experiment a little bit. There are settings on the machine that, that make it easier to use. Um, it's called an expiratory, expiratory pressure relief so that when you exhale, the thing's not pushing air in, which was incredible because back in the early 90s, when I started using one, the CPAP was continuative, continual positive airway pressure. And it was like driving down the freeway with no windshield. It was just, you woke yeah. up in the morning and it just felt like a blast. And a lot of people experience uh, excess air in their stomach and a lot of burping. And yeah. so if you use a BiPAP, which, which uh, stops pushing air in when you exhale, it interprets your breathing. Uh, and use a mouth tape, a combination of those two things, and they're much more comfortable uh, to wear. And then people have to experiment whether or not they like a full face mask or a nose mask. And uh, I generally like the full face mask with uh, tape because the nose masks um, can really irritate the lining of the, and dry out the lining of the nose. So just some suggestions. I go pretty deep into this with my clients so I, to make sure that, that that's one of the first things that they optimize is the quality of their sleep. Dan, did you say mouth tape? Yeah, mouth tape helps prevent. Because if you put on a CPAP and your mouth is open, the air will yeah. go in the nose and out the mouth. Yeah. Uh, so what is the what? So I've never I've been using a CPAP for gosh probably five years now, and I I don't think I've ever heard of this. Um, yeah, it's some people. <laughs> some people can keep their mouth closed. Others, their mouth will hang open and the air will come yeah. out, or the air will push into the stomach. And then you wake up with yep. burping a lot. Ah, mm. unreal. So what, what, what is the, okay. So I'm probably going to have to direct message you after this. Where, yeah. where do I find thus this, this well, mouth? Specific mouth tape that's designed for that purpose can be quite expensive. And so I use uh -huh. a surgical tape that doesn't peel your skin off your lips in the morning. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I can recommend that to you. It's available on Amazon. It's much, much, much more affordable. And it's, it certainly works uh, just as well. Man, look at that. It's just life hack. Hey, I've, look, guys, I've said many times, I'm no guru. I, I've, I've lived this for 30 years, every aspect of gaining weight and losing weight to bulk up to 300 pounds to, to power lift and to diet down to single digit body fat. I've gained and lost well over a thousand pounds and I'm I'm kind of a hypochondriac, and so I've worked with dozens of doctors over the decades, and I've interacted with thousands of clients, and I, I just, there's certain things that I, I just, I try and I find ways to just make things easier. Uh, just these little teeny things can make a big difference for adherence. Mm -hmm. Man. So, okay, Stan, so here's here's the question from the National Guard perspective, because um, obviously AJ, Chapman Sanders, myself, like we deal with these populations in the National Guard, and, and invariably the big issue is is readiness within the National Guard, and, and I think even within the Army too, um, if we were to look at statistics. And so readiness, uh, whether it be medical or physical readiness, um, obviously our job is to to try and push the ball forward as much as we can with physical readiness, but... Uh, from a from an educational standpoint, how in the world? Because we can't convince anybody of anything, right? Like that's a pretty heavy lift uh, to yeah. convince people. 
how how can we i guess best educate or at least get people to a place of maybe sparking curiosity because like i you know i know most people in the human performance world know that when you change diet and you change sleep and you train appropriately it is 100% life altering 100% but how do you how do you communicate that and spark interest and curiosity in other people that otherwise number one, don't care. And then number two, probably don't even believe you. Um, how, and, and maybe, and maybe you haven't experienced this a whole lot just because people come to you because they know that you've got answers, but how, how would you approach that situation of sparking curiosity in a, in a, in a population that is mostly predominantly unfit? I don't think that it's that they don't care. I really think it's because that the programs that they perceive to be necessary uh aren't very sustainable and Mm. so i worked Mm. here locally with the army recruiting station in las vegas uh with bobby summers uh, who was a purple heart iraqi war veteran who was uh who was injured uh was blown up a couple of times and suffered some brain injuries and ptsd he actually participated on the tour with me uh and and spoke a lot about the mental aspect of of uh, of health and fitness and mm-hmm. so the, what they're having a huge problem with, you guys are probably aware of this, in the military now is, is getting recruits, applicants that actually qualify uh, yeah. in terms of height to weight ratios, et cetera. And they're, uh, they'll have all these, these people applying that just can't make weight. And so yeah. I asked them to give me a group of their uh, recruits so that I could help them to make weight. Mm-hmm. What what they had been trying to do is basically just start, you know, not eating, you know, they just kind of start <laughs> trying to cut down on food in general, rather than, uh, and I'll give you some, some tips on what we employed. And secondly, they would just go out on Saturday and meet up with the recruiters and, and the recruiters would just run them into the dirt. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's not <laughs> very effective at all. That I think no. they would make them run a mile and a half is what they would do. And then, so they were all just completely wow. exhausted and then they wouldn't do anything all week. Um, mm. so I, I did two things. Uh, one, I showed them how to design a diet so that it was, uh, it was sustainable. They could adhere to it. And the most important piece of that, I mentioned meal prepping, uh, but the most important thing after meal prepping, the reason most diets fail is because people get hungry and they get tired. And yep. so we have to try and mitigate hunger. One of the most successful diet drugs ever in history is, is most recently been, uh, very much popularized is called semaglutide. All it does is it makes you so you're not hungry. Mm. And it's incredibly effective. We see two-year uh, weight loss uh, adherence against a placebo at somewhere, I think the placebo was 2% weight loss after two years, and semaglutide was 15 to 17% weight loss adherence wow. after two years. And really, it just slows down motility uh, and and so that your food isn't digested as fast, you're full longer. So I mm. try and utilize uh, strategies that do that using food. And one of them is to eat more protein, uh, eat more high satiety foods like boiled potatoes and oranges, um, mm. eat more fiber like salads. Uh, I like to have like steak instead of ground beef, um, mm. you know, obviously potatoes instead of rice, oranges instead of orange juice. So, and then I, I put together what I call a skinny salad that includes like some uh, strawberries and, and uh, egg whites and, um, you know, uh, obviously some lettuce. Uh, and I, I mix all that together, some fat-free cheddar cheese and a little bit of apple cider vinegar. So I actually design a diet that, that people will enjoy that they can, uh, that keeps them full longer. That's, yeah. that's a huge piece of it. So they get hungry and they get tired and the tired portion is because of the calorie deficit, they, you know, they end up getting, getting tired or they try and overtrain. So the training component for these people, the dietary component was, was meal prepping and using high satiety uh, foods. And the training Mm -hmm. component uh, was the 10 minute walks again. And if I could just get them to start doing that regularly, it's incredible how, you know, if I could just get you to take three of those a day or even two a day, yeah. It's incredible how much more effective that is than than uh, just trying to run a mile and a half every Saturday. It, it it just it's not even close. When we're trying to train people for longer distance, say a 5K or a 10K, et cetera, 
the most important piece is that you're on your feet for that amount of time moving. And so we start with walking and then we'll gradually work into a walk jog and, uh, you know, walk, jog, walk. You might jog, you know, walk for one minute, jog for 30 seconds, walk for one minute, jog for 30 seconds. So we start designing a program that progresses itself over time. Walk for one minute, jog for one minute, walk for one minute, jog for a minute and a half. And we progress that slowly and gradually over time. But the, the foundation is always the three brisk 10 minute walks a day. Makes sense. I, one thing I kind of take away uh, from a lot of your stuff, Stan, is that um, especially with like your travel is that there's like, there's a character piece to this too. It's a mat matter of, I want to be fit. And so I'm going to find a way to do it. Just that, that perseverance and that creativity of like, you know, I don't think I've ever heard anybody recommend uh, take five, you know, uh, thermoses to Moscow full of uh, <laughs> broth or whatever. But, you know, but it, yeah, that's a, a unique way to solve a, a complex problem. Uh, if you could speak to that, I, I think uh, that'd be a good way for us to uh, to wrap up. Yeah, and and I asked people to make it their own. Uh, you have to get in front of it. Willpower is not an effective method to lose weight. You will lose that battle every single time. Your body will release hormones to make you hungry and tired. Uh, you won't win that battle. I don't care how tough you think you are. And it's it's a terrible strategy to begin with because then the process isn't enjoyable. It's not part of a lifestyle you can sustain. So willpower is not a good strategy. If you get in front of the psych, the, the the you get in front of it by doing things that are more subconscious. I mentioned, um, you know, just uh, meal prepping, of course, um, higher satiety foods, taking the snacks out of the house, but replacing them with low calorie snacks. So rather than you know the ice cream, you replace it with yogurt and fruit. Um, mm. I use a jerky uh, that. Um, uh, that's really, really, uh, people can just use jerky that's really, really low in fat and low in sugar. Um, uh, what's the name of it? I haven't had it in a while because I don't, I don't, my diet's pretty on point, but there's a jerky that's a, a air dried um, that's only got like one gram of fat and two grams of sugar and like 20 some grams of protein. But, mm. you know, and then Lane Norton or Lane, yeah, Lane Norton, Dr. Lane Norton always uh, talks about how he eats a lot of popcorn. Now, yeah. I went to Costco and looked at their bags of popcorn and they're loaded with oil. So they're very high in calories. So uh, yeah. you have to be careful that, that you, you know, check and make sure it's just like an air pop or something like that. But again, the point there is, is you've, you've gotten rid of all of the things that are in the house that you generally would overeat and replace them with something that is an alternative so that you have a kind of a go-to. I have the thermos, so I don't have to eat airport food or room service uh, or fast food because I, I have an alternative that I've prepared ahead of time. And right. so I, I want people to try and employ strategies. Uh, when the weather is bad, you're not going to be able to take a 10 minute walk. So get a recumbent bike off of Craigslist. You know, I think uh, uh, it was named Schwinn had one for like 400 bucks that, on Craigslist. that was super, super nice. I got one for my 92 year old pops who lives with me. Uh, he obviously is on a walker, so he, he's not going to get very much range of motion, his knees or hips, but he'll sit on that bike two or three times a day after meals. And it's dramatically helped his HA1C, his blood sugars. Um, and he's, his, his hips, you know, feel better. They're not sore all the time. And he's had double hip replacement surgery uh, over the years. So and you say they're, they're definitely, like you say, time management is one of the things I throw into discipline, consistency, time management. Uh, discipline's probably not the the best of those three uh so uh, and then those strategies also help you i think save a significant amount of money right well stan it's been uh fantastic uh hearing from your perspective and uh getting this information out to our soldiers uh how can people connect with you everything's at stan efforting so my website is stanefforting.com and i have links on there to my nationwide meal prep as well uh, and my ebook, my ebook's 225 page kind of comprehensive manual of everything that I want my clients to do, everything we discussed today, sleep, hydration, nutrition, digestion, blood testing, et cetera, et cetera. It's just everything compiled that, that I want my clients to know and do. Right. Um, Instagram is at Stan Efforting, YouTube, Stan Efforting. I have a lot of great videos on there, Rhino's Rants with a lot of information that uh, I think people would enjoy. Right. And then you're going to be at uh, Camp Murray there to uh, to talk to us, correct? 
yep, I'll come up next month uh, or thereafter and uh, do a presentation for you guys and do a workout. All right. And I believe that's uh, oh, yeah. 12, uh, 12 May. We lost uh, uh, Josh. so But uh, we'll put that out in the, in the show notes and hopefully uh, we get some guys to be able to meet you. Awesome. All I right. appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It was an honor, Stan. This has been the Raven Report Podcast, the official podcast of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team. You can find more of our content on Instagram at Cascade Rifles or on Substack in the show notes.